Hope you all are doing well, living into the Advent season. Christmas coming up very, very, very soon, right? That's exciting. That's exciting, right? Everybody still excited about that? Hopefully you're not at a place in life where that's not exciting. That's exciting for me. I mean, I'm not a kid anymore, right? So I don't get quite as excited as I did as a child, but, but still really excited. And in fact, some ways, I, maybe I get more excited because I understand a little bit more, like what it's all about. And we're uh, living into this series um, called No Room. It's our Advent series. And we've been kind of taking this look at, at Bethlehem and how Bethlehem in the day was just so crowded and busy and so many things were going on in the lives of people that they really just weren't ready. They weren't prepared um, for this Jesus. So hopefully you're ready, right? Hopefully you're prepared for this coming of Christ. Spiritually speaking, the people of Jesus' day really had no room in their minds, no room in their hearts for who Jesus was proclaiming to be. People had trouble wrapping their mind around the fact that the Messiah was just an ordinary man from an ordinary town, the son of a carpenter. Some accused Jesus of being a blasphemer for claiming that he was God's son, for claiming that he and the Father were one. Some felt that they had no need for a Savior, and many more refused Jesus as their king because he did not come in the way in which they expected him to come. Now, unfortunately, the same is true for us today. Even in a season that bears his name, Christmas, thank you, Mark Massaro, Merry Christmas, right? Christmas. Um, even in a season that bears his name, we, we fail to give Jesus the honor and the respect that he deserves. Some deny his humanity, some deny his divinity. Some deny his royalty and others deny his relevance. And so there is a need for us to make room in our lives today for all that Jesus claimed and all that Jesus claims to be. Now, in addition to being fully God and fully man, we worship Jesus as a king. And not just any king, the king of kings, right? And the Lord of lords. So listen to this exchange between Jesus and Pontius Pilate just a few hours before Jesus' crucifixion and death. Seems like an odd place to go, but, but just stay with me. So this is John chapter 18, verses 33 through 37. It says, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Pilate was confused. He was, he was questioning Jesus on whether or not he was, in fact, a king. As we heard in last week's sermon, Jesus can really only be one of three things. A liar, a lunatic, or Lord. In the hours leading up to Jesus' death, and still today, people are wrestling with what to do with this man. What do I do with Jesus? Do I dismiss him as a liar? Do I dismiss him as a lunatic? Or do I love him, serve him, worship him, 
pray to him, and enter into a personal loving relationship with him as Lord, as king. But there were some who recognized Jesus' lordship from the very beginning of his life here on earth. The scriptures tell us that sometime after the birth of Jesus, we don't know exactly when, but sometime after the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, wise men from the east came to visit him. These men were in search of, the Bible says, the one who had been born king of the Jews. So let's listen in to Matthew's account in chapter 2 of his gospel. This is Matthew 2, verse, first 12 verses. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, or wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Now, a better word, I think, would be threatened or intimidated. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where this Messiah was to be born. Well, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod calls the, call the Magi back secretly, and he finds out from them the exact time in which the star has appeared. And he sends them out into Bethlehem and says, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me that I too may go and worship him. Right? After they had heard the king, the wise men, it says, went on their way, and the star in which they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, and on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened up their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But having, and this is so key, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So these magi, all right, these wise men, that's what I want us to think about today. They are learned men. They are experts in the lore and science of their day. They are experts in the interpretation of dreams. These magi connected with Matthew's account uh, of the birth of Jesus were probably strangers from like Mesopotamia or Arabia. And, And these men are pagans. But although they're pagans, they know the Old Testament predictions about this coming Messiah. And so they're watching the skies for some astral phenomenon that would foreshadow his great event. And we know that they got their sign. They got their sign in the form of a star. And although these magi were pagans, God was choosing them to reveal himself to the world. The Jews... Well, they were also waiting for this promised Messiah or anointed one. As the son of David, the Messiah was to be chosen by God to fulfill the Davidic covenant and to rule on the throne in Jerusalem. At least that's what they were waiting for. But unlike the Magi, many of them missed it. 
I mean, isn't it interesting that the religious teachers who supposedly knew the most about the Messiah failed to act on the truth while some group of pagans whom one would never expect to come to the Jewish Messiah did just that? When these magi came to Jerusalem, they came seeking, in their words, the king of the Jews. They were thinking of him as some future political leader. King Herod got nervous. As we pointed out in the passage, Herod, the Bible says, was disturbed, was, was threatened, was intimidated. In fact, you may remember that Herod, he tried to trick these wise men, right? And he, he tells them, he says, go and find the baby and then report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Really what Herod was wanting to do was to find the child and end his life, to end the threat, to put an end to the possibility of anyone sitting on the throne besides himself. And so fortunately for us, the wise men were warned in a dream not to go back. So here was this tiny baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Here he was, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. But as we've already stated in previous weeks, there was no room for him. He was nothing like what the Jews expected. And because this king of the Jews did not fit the ideas that they had cherished for literally thousands of years, the Jews rejected the only one in whom they really needed. And in fact, many Jews today are still waiting for this wrong kind of king. Now, Christians, we good United Methodists here at Anderson Hills, right? We understand Jesus to be the Messiah, the king. 2,000 years after the resurrection, we know that God has bigger plans than just an earthly kingdom. Jesus never resigned himself to Israel's rejection of his kingship, but rather he used their rejection of him as an opportunity to demonstrate his love for the entire world. The Son of God took on human flesh. He came in the form of a servant, and he showed his people what a real leader was like. And here's the great news. He's not done yet. The book of Revelation tells us, in fact, that Jesus will one day return to earth to rule. In Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, it says, They will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. In Revelation 19, 16, it says, On his robe, this is Jesus on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Church, when the time comes, when this time comes that Revelation talks about, the ancient prophecies of an earthly kingdom of God will be fulfilled. And no one will doubt that Jesus is, in fact, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In fact, the Bible says that every nation, every tribe, and every tongue will bow down to this King of the Jews. But the question this morning is not about some off-in-the-distance kingdom. The question is about today. The question is about you and me. The question is about us. You see, we have this opportunity today, right now, to recognize Jesus as the king of our lives, as the Lord of our lives. We have this opportunity to live as people of his kingdom, and with all the blessings that come from that. So metaphorically speaking, can I get a little metaphorical on you this morning? Is that okay? All right. So metaphorically speaking, there is a throne in all of our lives, 
right? A throne in our lives. By definition, a throne is a chair of a sovereign or high dignitary, okay? In several countries around the world, a monarch's authority is symbolized by the throne on which he or she sits. So you see where I'm going with this? We all have this throne. And on it, we place the person, the place, the thing, whatever it is that has power and authority over our lives, over us. Some of us have one thing on the throne and one thing only. And we could probably name it. If I said, I'm going to count to three and you name in your mind the thing that's on your throne, one, two, three, boom, you could name it. Others of us, there's all different types of things on our throne. In fact, for some of us, there's so many things on our throne that we're going to have to go now and build another throne just to hold all the things that we have sitting on our throne. For some of us, it changes. So from time to time, we're moving things off the throne and putting new things on. It might be based on the season of life we're in, or it might be based on the season of year, the time of year that it is. It could be based on any number of things, but we're constantly changing in and out what's on the throne. Others of us switch things out without even realizing that we're doing it. So you tracking with me? So the question that I have for you this morning is what or who sits on the throne of your life, on the throne of your heart? In other words, what has authority over you? And truth be told, it could be any number of things. So we have a few examples. For some of us, the thing that sits on our throne is money, or better yet, wealth. So the accumulation of lots of money. Isn't it true that the almighty dollar sometimes has such a grip on our lives? I mean, when the money is coming in and and it's plentiful, right, we're free and we're flexible and we're fluid and and, and we're, we're doing great. But then as soon as that money starts to, well, it starts to trickle a little bit. And all of a sudden that well dries up and all of a sudden our bank account starts to lessen. Then all of a sudden we slip into this place of, of kind of almost like a paralysis where we can't move, we can't budge because, oh, oh, I don't have money. Money and wealth cannot be the things on our throne. Jesus himself said that we can't serve two masters. We can't serve both God and, and money because if we do, we're going to end up loving one and hating the other. Furthermore, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, he says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, notice he doesn't say money itself is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is necessary for things, and that's kind of the way the world works. But the love of money, placing money on our throne, is a problem. He says, Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So you do the math there. Following after money leads to grief heartache, pain. For some of us, it's not so much the money, it's not so much the wealth, but it's the worldly possessions. It's the thing that our money buys us. So let's just start at the very top. For a lot of us adults, particularly, it's the home. It's the house. And we sometimes place that home or the dream, our dream home, right, gets placed on the throne. Maybe for others of us, it's a car. Uh, I don't know how many of you have seen those Christmas commercials. I think they're put out by Mercedes-Benz where the little boy wakes up. He's like five, and he looks out the window, and there's no Mercedes, and so he's disappointed. If you've seen those, then he finally gets to be like a grown man, and he wakes up, and it's there. Yeah, such a realistic commercial. But, um, 
But maybe it's a car, maybe it's a boat, maybe it's a motorcycle, maybe it's some other kind of toy, right? So it's something, maybe it's just the stuff. Like it's not even so much about any one particular possession as it is like the whole conglomeration of possessions. It's just all of our stuff. Some of us, we have to build a bigger house in order to house all of our stuff. Or we build an addition, or, or some of us, some of us men have had to give up our garage. How many of you have driven around town, and I'm not picking on anyone, this might be you, so don't, don't always oh, picking on me, right? But, but you've driven around, and you've seen somebody's garage door up, and there's no car in the garage, because there's no place for a car in the garage. You know what I'm talking about, but the stuff just, it, it just comes in abundance. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, he said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where whatever's sitting on your throne, that's the thing that has a grip on your heart. For others of us, it's not so much our possessions or even money, as it is the pursuit of the American dream. And so that involves education. I got to go to the best school. I got to get the best grades. I got to, whatever. For others of us, maybe it's a career. For others of us, we're making a career out of an education. (laughs) We're like 12th year seniors or something. But we pull these all-nighters and and we work 60 or 70 or 80 hours a week because we're convinced that the road to success and to self-worth is wrapped up in our job, the ability to get it, the ability to keep it, and the ability to do it well, to perform. I've got to perform. That's where I draw my value. And then for some of us, the thing that sits on our throne is our relationships. This could be a relationship with a spouse could be a relationship with our children, our kids. could be a relationship with a friend or, or a significant other, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It could just be relationships in general. But we are determining our value based on the number of relationships that we have, the quantity, or how our relationships are going, the quality. For some of us, we, we are driven by others' approval of us. I don't, I don't want any enemies. I want everybody to like me because if everybody likes me, then, then things are good. And so that's the thing we put on the throne is this desire to have, let me just let you in on a little secret. Not everyone likes you. How do I know this? Because there's a whole lot of people out there that don't like me, okay? And it's the same for you. There's always gonna be that person and that's okay. And then for others of us, it's not so much the relationships or the career or the education or the possessions or the money or all that, but it's, but it's an addiction. And here's the deal. So all of this stuff up here, we can sort of rationalize in our minds, can't we? Like, oh, those are, those are okay things. Certainly God would want me to provide for my children with a roof overhead. Certainly God would want me to have a car to get to and from work so that I can make money so that I can provide for my children. Surely God's okay with me making money and I've worked hard so I deserve that promotion. And certainly God's okay with me being in relationship with people. I mean, wasn't it Jesus that said not just love God but love others also? As we rationalize all these things. But now we get to that stuff where it's like, okay, now that's a problem. That addiction, that's a big deal. So alcohol, right? Drugs, pornography, gambling, even food. I mean, anything. Just think about it. Anything that can become an addiction. These things sometimes become the things that sit on the thrones of our lives. In fact, even good addictions can take precedence over God. Uh, One that came to my mind, and again, I'm not picking on anybody, but one that came to my mind is like 
fitness, healthy living, diet, exercise. That can become a God. It can become the thing that sits on our throne. So that I'm obsessed with what I look like and how I feel. And, you know, I'm, in the, I'm the guy in the mirror, you know. Oh, yeah, you know. Clearly that's my throne, right, you know. <laughs> it's a problem. Listen to what Solomon in all of his wisdom says. He says in Proverbs 6.27, he says, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? <laughs> so I think about this in terms of addiction. Because there's all these things that we sometimes are scooping into our lap. We're bringing them, we're allowing them to get into our lives. They're becoming a whole lot more important than they were ever meant to be. And, and if we're not careful, we're going to get burned. And not only are we going to get burned, but the people around us are going to get burned as well. And then you throw on top of, of all of the stuff we've already got up here, just the word sin, S-I-N. And it really doesn't matter what sin we're talking about. We're just talking about sin. Lying, cheating, stealing, um, adultery. I mean, you just, you, whatever. You name it. But there's so many sins that end up on the throne of our lives. But here's the good news. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Love the Romans series, by the way. Paul wrote this, he says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Did you hear that, church? In no way should we any longer be slaves to sin. Listen to me, if you're going into this week, I mean, we're nearing the end of 2018. We're heading, we're steamrolling to 2019. And if you're entering into this week with money and wealth and worldly possessions and a career and an education and your marriage and your family and your friendships and addiction and sin or anything else sitting on the throne of your life, then it's time for a dethroning. Again, not all of these things in and of themselves are bad. Certainly God has called us to love other people, to work hard, to make the most out of the opportunities that we've been presented with. I mean... Not all these things are bad, but if anyone or anything of these things is coming between us and our relationship with Almighty God, or if anyone or anything has taken over the throne of our heart, then it is time for a dethroning, right? So just come along with me, and just let's dethrone a little bit. Let's just kick them around a little bit. Does anybody mind that? I mean, it seems aggressive, but at the end of the day, it's like we got to do some kicking around, right? we got to get these things out of here. Because only one thing belongs on the throne, church. And you know it, and I know it, and it's this guy right here. It's God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. He's the one. And by the way, here's the deal. I was convicted first service. Because Jesus is not always on my throne. In fact, a lot of times it's none of this, and it's all of this that sits on the throne of my life. And because all of this sits on the throne of my life, a lot of these other things enter in. And as long as you're the thing that is sitting on your throne of your life, I mean, you know, we're trying to do this, right? Like bouncing Jesus on a leg or something, you know? He's got to be there. You got to be all in. All in. This morning, I want to give us the opportunity to be brutally honest with ourselves because here's the deal. No one else in this room knows what or whom is sitting on the throne of your life. Only you know that. Only you. Not your spouse, not your children, not your parents, not your mentor, not your accountability partner, not your pastor, not the people sitting in front of you or behind you or next to you. Only you know who sits on the throne of your life. 
Only you know who sits on the throne of your heart. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And that's what we got to do. This Christmas season, heading into this new year of 2019, we got to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So what do you need to kick aside? What do you need to put away in order to come back to the reality that Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your majesty. God, we thank you that you stepped down out of heaven and became one of us. But you didn't leave your divine nature behind. You embraced it. You embraced humanity and divinity at the same time. Jesus, you are the fulfilled prophecy. You are the one who was to come. You are the one who is coming, and you are the one who is still to come. Jesus, you are king of kings, and you are Lord of lords, and help us to clear out the clutter, to clear out the cobwebs, to get rid of all the stuff that sits on the throne of our heart this morning and to place you there. Some of us need to step up out of the throne of our lives. We need to put ourselves, we need to make ourselves less and make you more. So God, let us be brutally honest with ourselves this morning. God, I think if all of us were brutally honest, we would all admit that there are times, that there are seasons when other things take priority over you. Other things sit on the throne. It's just being real. So God, today, this day, December the 16th, 2018, God, may we take some time to just say to you, under, under our breath, God, I'm putting you back on the throne. In a season that bears your name, Jesus Christ, I'm making you my king, my Lord, my master. Bless us as we respond accordingly. It's in Christ's name. Amen.